Good morning. My name is Larry Doolittle, and uh, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually went to college with Bronson at Emmanuel College. Uh, we have basically the same degree. I think it's a couple of classes different, and I actually did do this for a living for a, uh, for a few years uh, back in the day, so bear with me this morning. My jokes aren't funny. Please laugh anyway. I asked Bronson, uh, we, we're, we spent a lot of time talking this week about it. I asked him if he was nervous about it this week, and uh, he's like, no, man, no, man, you're going to kill it. You're going to do a great job. And he asked me if I was, and I was surprised that he wasn't nervous. So my response was, I'm not nearly as nervous as you probably should be, buddy. This is, this is going to be rough. Um, <clears throat> so this morning, uh, I want to talk about Peter. Uh, Pastor Bronson and I sat down and we talked. Uh, we both had our lists of uh, who, we were gonna, who he was going to let me pick. He made a list, I made a list, and the only person on that list that, we both, uh, that was on both lists was the Apostle Peter. Um, for me, he's, he is me, uh, and I, I guess sometimes Bronson sees that too. Um, and when we talk about him, we describe, describing his personality, the first thing that comes to my mind is the word impetuous. Um, it didn't really, Stephanie told me about this word. She said, you should look up that word, because I didn't know what the word was. So uh, I look it up and I read it. Hopefully it's not, here we go. <clears throat> impetuous is an adjective. Acting or done quickly and without thought or care. Synonyms are impulsive, rash, hasty, Reckless, careless, foolhardy, bullheaded, and imprudent. And uh, anybody who knows me knows that is my personality, uh, to a fault uh, sometimes. Um, I had a friend this week tell me, he said, Larry, you say exactly what I'm thinking every day. So I, I'm gonna, I, I apologize if some of that leaks out this morning. I don't mean to, but sometimes it just comes out. So bear with me. First time we see Peter uh, is in Matthew chapter 4. Uh, many of us have read the story. Many of us haven't. Uh, it's, it's where Peter is a, an apostle of John the Baptist, actually, very early on. And uh, so we know at this point, at some time in his life, Peter, Peter started searching for something. Uh, we don't know what it was. We don't know um, what he was searching for. He was an apostle of John the Baptist, though. And Jesus comes along and calls him. Uh, many of us know the story. He said, put your, note, put your nets down and follow me. And Peter drops what he's doing immediately, and he follows Jesus. To me, it's interesting that he did it immediately. He was searching, and immediately he drops. It's like he found what he was looking for right off the bat. And uh, to me, that kind of like, well, this might not be a great story then, right? <clears throat> We're going to pick the story up three years later. After uh, Judas's betrayal in the garden, after Peter cut the dude's ear off, uh, after Jesus is crucified uh, and resurrected, we're going to pick the story up in John chapter 21 when Jesus appears to his disciples again. John chapter 21. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood there on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he called to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. After all Peter had seen, after all he had done, we find him in the most unlikely of places. We find him back in the beginning, back where he started, still searching. He'd gone fishing. That's the only thing he knew was to fish. And he's, gone this, he's come in this full circle with Jesus, and, and he finds himself back where he was. He's seen the, the, uh, the 5,000 fed with the, the two fish and the five loaves of bread, uh, Peter walked on the water, right? 
We know Peter, we know all of his rash decisions and everything. Some people call that rash decisions, walking on water. We see him walk on water, but then we also see him sink with the next step. Uh, Peter saw blind people healed. He saw deaf people healed. Peter went through Jesus in this amazing journey across his three years of his ministry. Is there when Christ is crucified, is there when he is resurrected, sees him again afterwards, denies him three times in the middle, right? And then we find him again in a very unlikely place, right where he started, still searching in a boat, uh, fishing. Peter had a lot of issues. I have a lot of issues. That's why, you know, we go with Peter. Uh, he was called out by Jesus twice, once by Paul. Rebuked is a word that people in church use. He basically got called out on the carpet by Jesus two times. Um, he's ready to fight one moment, ready to run the next, brave enough to walk on the water and sink with his very next step. That's me. That's the story of my life. Throw my flag in the, in the ground right now. I'm ready to fight. Let's go. But I might run, so wait, watch out. Don't be ready to fight with me because I might, I might scat quick. Um, that, that's what I identify with is Peter and his searching. You, you think for one minute he has the right answer, and then the next you know, well, maybe he didn't. And there are many different explanations as to why Peter was fishing that day. A lot of, I read a ton of commentary on this. Um, a lot of people say, well, Jesus told him to go fishing. A lot of people say, well, maybe he was uh, trying to raise money for the church. Maybe he was trying to make, just go catch food. Maybe they were hungry. Maybe he went to get food. Um, this is my opinion. Bronson gives you a heads up and it says opinion. This is my opinion on it. If you read later down in chapter 21, um, you see where, where Jesus reinstates Peter. Peter knew he was on the outs. Peter knew he had denied Jesus. Peter knew Jesus knew he had denied Jesus. And I think he thought it was over. I really, deep down in my heart, I believe Peter thought, you know what? I'm not sure if Jesus is who he says he was. Maybe he was a magician. Maybe he did all this, this stuff that I believed and I saw, but maybe he wasn't. Even if he was who he said he was, now I've denied him three times. So now I'm on the outs. I think Peter thought his life with Jesus, his ministry was over. And I think he did the only thing he knew to do. Go fishing, go looking again, go searching for something. My life is a very similar story. I was saved at an early age. Um, my grandfather, a lot of folks don't know about him, my grandfather was a pastor in Texas uh, for many, many, many years. Um, my family, the Doolittles in Texas, were, we were like church planters, right? <clears throat> my, my grandfather planted two or three churches while we lived in Texas, and I remember very vividly, my father played guitar, my mother played piano, uncle played drums and saxophone, and my aunt and my grandmother sang. and. Uh, and that was a part of my life growing up. Um, all through the mid and, and late 80s, uh, I, w I was in church, right? Uh, from a very early age, I was saved. Um, I remember being baptized in Austin, Texas in a horse trough, like the big galvanized steel horse trough. We had a, it was a really church, we didn't have a lot of folks. And uh, one of the farmers, bring the horse trough, fill the water, and baptizing folks in it. I remember six or seven years old being baptized in that thing. Later on in the 80s, um, 88, 89, uh, my parents were kind of going through some stuff. Uh, wasn't a lot of work in Northeast Texas at the time. And so my, my mother took my brother and I. I have a brother. He's a year and three weeks younger than me. Uh, took my brother and I. We moved to, to West Georgia. And um, my mom kept us in church. My father followed shortly thereafter. But he, he was always in my life. But, but he kind of fell away from church. But my mother kept my brother and I in church um, I'm religiously, y'all have heard that uh, I had a drug problem when I was a teenager. My mama drugged me to church every time the doors were open. I was being drugged. I was there. But it was good for me because I needed that. Because on the one hand, I had one parent 
who, who loves Jesus with all her heart and is doing the best she can. On the other hand, I live at the same house with the, with the parent on the other side that's doing everything that, you know, you think will make you happy. Searching, still searching for stuff, basically. Searching for something to fill that, the gap. Um... In my teen years, I was, I was involved in an awesome ministry, awesome church ministry, First Assembly of God in Douglasville, that's where I grew up. I spent 10 years at that church, all of my formative teenage years I was there. I had a great youth pastor, his name is Lance. He actually uh, married my wife and I. Good man of God. He was my big brother. Um, I wanted to be just like him. And so in my early teen years, I felt a really, really, really strong call to ministry. And uh, so I did the first thing that comes natural to teenage boy who feels a call to ministry. I find the first girl who will let me, and I knocked her up. I did, straight away. 30, I'm 33 years old, and uh, I got married when I was 17. My wife is sitting right here, she'll tell you. She's probably a little embarrassed right now. It was her. She's the same one. I woke up next to that girl this morning. So it, so it worked out. So, yeah, so, so my mom is keeping me in church, but on the other hand, I'm pulled in this other direction uh, where, where my one parent seems to be searching. My other parent seems to have found it, and so I'm all up and down, being tugged one way or the other. I go and do this thing, and... Um, Early on, it was a bad decision. Early on, it was a mistake. I'm older now. I'd make it again a thousand times, sweetie. I love you. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so I dropped out of school at 17 years old. I dropped completely out of school in 1999, 98, and I uh, got a job. I started working, raising a family. Uh, even through this huge mistake that I had made in my life, um, I knew God had still called me. I knew that at, at some level, God could still and God would still use me if I would allow him. So in 1999, my wife and I decided, you know what, we're gonna go to Emanuel College. It's a small school up in uh, uh, Royston, Georgia. Um, offered degrees in ministry. I decided that's where I was gonna go. So in 1999, she and I and our 18-month-old daughter, Hannah, who's doing Probe Center for me this morning, she, uh, we, we, we packed up and we moved to Emanuel. And uh, we were there for uh, five years from 1999 to 2004. This was my preparation period. <laughs> this is where... When Peter, when Peter began, when Jesus said, Peter, lower your, put down your nets and follow me, this was my, Larry, put down your nets and follow me moment. <clears throat> I decided, you know what, I've screwed up in the past, I'm still searching, I'm, I'm going to do something with my life, I'm going to be somebody for God. And I put down everything that I had, I dropped everything, I had a great job um, at 19 year old, dropped out of high school, had a great job, I think I was making $12 an hour, I'm very proud of it, and uh, hey, we had our own apartment, it's alright, it paid the bills, but uh, uh, yeah, so we drop all that and we go to Emmanuel College and we decide we're gonna go, we're gonna go give our lives completely to God. So for five years we did that. Let me tell you, that was tough. Um, financially it was tough. On me, it was much harder than I thought it would be. Uh, financially, I think we lived on about, I think we did the math, it was about $12,000 a year we lived on for our four years at Emmanuel. Um, my wife, uh, myself, my daughter, and we had our son um, while we were there as well. Financially it was hard on us. What I didn't expect, what was hard on me, was being with kids who were my age, right? Because I dropped out of high school, got my GED, and then I'm stepping into a, into a college, a college campus as a 19-year-old. I was the same age as most of the freshmen there, right? What was my difference? I had a wife and a kid that came with me, right? That was hard on me because after, after class, they're all going to the intramural games, they're going... And, and partying, it wasn't crazy partying because it wasn't manual, it was Christian college. But it was still party, it was having fun, right? Where did I have to go? Work. Because I have a wife and a baby. I got to rent. I got to make. That was, that was much harder on me. I didn't expect that coming. So yeah, that was, and, and for newlyweds, let me tell you, that was hard. 
So I graduated from Manning in 2004. I was a full-time youth director at a church in Athens for two years, and that's where I got to know Bronson. I met him at EC, but, uh, but I got to know him. Our youth groups uh, had some interaction together, so I knew who he was. Um, but let me tell you, ministry left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, I was talking earlier. It was, a, it was a very much older church. Not there's anything wrong with older churches, but the average age was up there. I was 23 years old. You know, I'm, I'm impetuous, right? We talked about that. I'm, I'm gung-ho. I'm foolhardy. Uh, leap before you look all day long. And that's how I was. That's how I approached my ministry. And sometimes with great success and sometimes with great failure. But anybody knows if you work in a church, no matter how successful you are, the one time you fail, uh, especially if people don't like you the way I felt like, uh, they're going to drag you down and beat you down. And that left a really bad taste in my mouth for ministry. So here I am with Peter. I, I'm, I'm on fire for God as a teenager. I make a mistake with a beautiful young lady, but we get it right. So I'm like, okay, well, now I found it again. So I'm going to Emmanuel. I'm, I'm, I'm back in college, and now I'm at this church, and it ruined me. I let it ruin me. It was all me, right? I made some bad decisions. Uh, I made the wrong people mad. I could have handled things a lot differently myself, but it ruined me. So I stepped away from ministry. I spent $20,000 in five years of my life, and I did it for two years and haven't done it full-time since. We found ourselves at church. Obviously, you know, we were both raised in church, so we, we still wanted to be a part of a church. We wanted to go to church. So I found the biggest church I could find in the area. And it was a big church. It's out in Bogart, Georgia. It's actually where uh, Bronson came from, um, coincidentally. He was there. I knew who he was. Some of my college professors were there. So I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go there. Maybe I can help there. Maybe I can, uh, you know, help that ministry. And as I got there and I started uh, realizing how large this church was, it was so easy for me to just be like, you know, take, take, a step, take a step back, right? And my excuse is, well, well, I need a break from ministry. And so what I would do was I would hide, right? In little churches, it's not, it's not that easy to hide sometimes. In great big churches, I love them, and they're great churches. I, they serve a great purpose in our communities. But in the big churches, it's, it's much easier to hide. And by the way, I didn't have a job. Because I, uh, I quit ministry with nothing. I thought I was going to be a firefighter. I'm all about putting out fires and uh, saving kitty cats. I'm not blood and guts. So, yeah, they, we cracked that first uh, and saw the hand. Oh, makes the backs of my legs hurt. I, was, I, I couldn't do that, so I quit. I didn't have a job. So, so I find, I'm, in, I'm staying in church, and I need a job desperately bad. So I find this job drilling uh, it's, uh, as an environmental driller. And uh, that was bad news. Because I was taking a step away from ministry, number one. Number two, I was still, you know, something in my heart was saying, well, you missed out on all of your childhood. I was married with a baby when I was 17 years old. And uh, all my, my 20s were gone, right? Spent the whole time making money, uh, being responsible, raising a family, um, the boring stuff in life, right? I never got to experience those, those early, fun, kind of carefree years. And so as I go and I, and I begin drilling, um, I traveled a lot. They gave me cash to stay on the road. And I was with people, again, my age, with no responsibilities. I cut loose. I did. I absolutely, I did. Um, I'd searched for the answers in the church. I went to college. That really raised more answers for me than it did, or more questions for me than it did answers. And so now I'm like, well, you know what? My dad is this way, and he's not such a bad guy. He's really not a bad guy. But he's living his life this way, and he seems, he seems happy, so I'm going to do it too. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to have a good time. Something about Doolittles that I have not mentioned to you is that a lot of us are alcoholics. 
a lot of us. Um, many men in my family. Uh, I have uncles, uh, grandparents, um, lots of guys in our family. If your last name is Doolittle and you're a male, you, you, are pre, you have a predisposition to drink heavily. And so I get out on this road and I'm bitter at Stephanie, right? And so I was 25 years old before I had my first alcoholic drink. But let me tell you what, that first one, there's a country song, because if I have one, I have 13, there ain't no in between. I went, I'm zero to 100 in three months. I mean, it was like that. So for five years, I did this. Um, I could not consistently make good choices. I hate Stephanie at this point. I love my kids, but they're part of this, this, this thing pulling me down too, right? And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going crazy for it. So I couldn't make consistent choices. Our, our marriage was in a terrible spot. I mean, I know some, of, some, of, uh, some, of, some other folks in, in, in the congregation this morning have struggled with that. We did. Our marriage was in a tough spot right then. For five years, I was consistently making terrible choices for us, for our kids, for myself. I was gone six months out of the year. I always had cash money in my pocket. I remember a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, days I woke up and uh, the room was still spinning when I woke up and I'd go and sit in a truck and I was crew leader. So I, you're there for more than a year, you're usually a crew leader. We had a high turnover. So I was a crew leader and I have to tell the guys, look, I'll come with you, but I'm gonna sit in the truck with the air conditioner running. Y'all go out and tell them I have, I'm, I have the flu or something. Just, uh, just tell them I'm sick or whatever. I had a lot of nights like that, a lot of nights. In 2010, I was unhappy in this job. When I talk about backbreaking labor, and this is backbreaking labor, we had 160-pound augers we had to pick up. They spun the uh, soil out of the ground. We had to shovel dirt, carry 500-pound drums of soil all over these different properties, all over the southeast. Uh, South Alabama in the summertime is the hottest place on the planet. Let me tell you, I spent a lot of time down there. South Georgia and Valdosta was too. Uh, some really, really ugly places to be in the middle of summertime. So I hated this job. But what I also knew was that where I was going and what I was doing and the people I was with and the money in my pocket were tearing me down. You, you, you ever been there? You know you're about to make a bad decision. You make it anyway, right? Well, I shouldn't do that this time. I shouldn't. I, I went out and had, and had some beers with the guys last night. But you know, I'm going home tomorrow night. I might as well go out tonight. And you take another step. And I just, I hated this job I, I, because it was causing me to make bad decisions. I knew the right ones. I knew where I needed to go. I knew, I knew the steps. But I consistently, I couldn't do it on my own. So I, I, I see this path I'm headed down. I know the men in my family have struggled with, with uh, the alcohol. And so in 2010, I decided, you know what, this is it. I've had enough. I don't know where else to go. I flooded, I flooded with like 1,000 resumes. One company called me back. I didn't care who it was. They, when they called me back, I'll take it. Yep, yes, sir, I'll take the job. I know what I was doing. Um, but the biggest thing was it got me off the road. It got me home. This, for me, was my I'm going fishing moment. Peter's out there uh, with Jesus. He denies Jesus, and I think he didn't know what, to, what else to do. He didn't know where to go. He has this moment of, you know what, I give up. I don't know what else to do. So he goes back to the one thing he, he knows. He, I'm going fishing. I'm going to go back searching. I knew I didn't like the answers I had in church as a pastor, as a Christian. I absolutely knew the, question, the, the decisions I was making uh, outside of church. I absolutely knew those were the wrong decisions. And so you know what? I'm not finding anything I want in either section, so I'm just going to go back to what I know. So I got home. Uh, in that moment, my, you hear about people trying to change their lives. The next step is, your next step is always your most important step. 
the next step you make. And I really feel like I, I didn't know what, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know uh, answers to any of these questions I had, but I knew I couldn't keep going this way. So I wasn't going to church. I wasn't living right. Okay, so we'll step in the middle. We'll try to find somewhere. And uh, this was an easy spot for me to be in because it made me feel better about the decisions I was making because I wasn't making those decisions anymore. And I could still go to church. I, I could still uh, be pleasing in God's eyes because I was still going to church, but keep in mind I was still hiding, right? I still wasn't stepping out. I still wasn't uh, acting, acting like I should act as a Christian. I wasn't representing God in a good way. Um, I know everybody's heard uh, talk about uh, he has a mouth that make a sailor blush. Yeah, that was me on top of all the drinking too. Um, so I was not in a good place, but, but on Sundays I felt like, okay, well, I'll start going to church on Sundays at least again, and so that will placate God. He'll be happy with me if I just at least start going back to church. By this time, I was burnt on this church. Um, I had gone, been there five years, never uh, made any kind of relationships there, uh, never really was involved. I was just kind of the guy that came, and I shut, and I, we sat in the back row, back left uh, corner. We snuck in after church started, snuck out before it ended because he wouldn't want to talk to anybody. He didn't want to be invited to a small group, didn't want to be asked to, to do anything in the church. And so I was like, you know what, Stephanie? I really think we, we, I'd like to start looking for another church. And she, she loved the church. She was heavily involved. And uh, slowly I kind of started saying, okay, well, let's just look. Let's just see what's in Winder, what's close to us. And, uh, and I saw on Facebook, I was still Facebook uh, friends with Bronson, and I saw on Facebook he was starting a church in, in, uh, in Winder. And uh, immediately I knew, you know, I need to talk to this guy. I need to sit down and have a conversation with him. So at Ruby Tuesdays in late July of 2011, in Winder, Georgia, we sat down and we had dinner and I knew that Synergy Church was gonna be the place I was gonna call home. This for me was when Jesus calls out to Peter. Peter doesn't know what to do, right? So he does the only thing he knows. You know, he goes out fishing, he's still searching, he goes out still looking, right? He's tried this one, it didn't work. He's tried this one, it didn't work. Well, I don't know what to do, God, I'm going fishing. So he goes out still searching in search of something. He didn't know what for, that was me. That was where I was at. I know I wasn't where I needed to be, but at least I wasn't where I was at before. So maybe this middle ground. And uh, when I saw the Synergy Church thing, I, I called up Bronson. Uh, we set up, we had dinner, and that was Jesus calling out. When, when he says, can you bring it back up, Hannah? He says, friends, haven't you caught any fish? That was, that was Larry. Haven't you caught any fish? He was speaking to me. Have you found what you're looking for? No, I haven't. Needless to say, everybody knows, we, we decided to plant church with, uh, with Bronson and the Thomases and Matt Yancey and, uh, and all the Crawfords, Elder Crawfords as well. Where do you look for happiness? Money? We all look for happiness and money, right? But can you ever really have enough? I've been getting a lot of overtime at my, my new job lately, and uh, it seems like the more I make, the more we spend. If I make less, we spend less. I make more, we spend more. You never can't have enough money. That's just the bottom line. Love, in search of something in love. We live in a, uh, in a world nowadays, and everybody knows this, uh, the divorce rate among Americans is 50%. That's inside and outside the church. The church is included in that statistic. Always constantly looking for love in another's arms. It's not there either. It's not at the bottom of a bottle, I'll tell you that. Been there, done that. 
Hey, and since I, since I quit traveling and was home more often, I've been to the bottle of a f- bottom of a few more bottles since then. No, it's still not there. I promise, it's still not there. How many of us look for happiness on Facebook? This is a pet peeve of mine. There's this thing going around Facebook about getting a divorce. I love it. I used to post a lot of stupid stuff on Facebook. I don't do it. I mean, I do still sometimes if it's really good, but <laughs> it has to be really funny. If it's not, if it's kind of borderline, I'll pull back. Um, and Stephanie's my good, uh, she's my filter on that. She, You're not going to post that, are you? No. <laughs> but right before I click, that's why I race. So, so yeah, I, I do that way less often. Happiness is not in how many friends you have on Facebook. Happiness is not in a Facebook post. And, and that sounds silly, but a lot of us are wrapped up with that. A lot of us get into the Twitter thing and, and the Facebook thing and, and all the other social media. That's not happiness, guys. Happiness, I'm speaking to teenagers now, happiness is not in someone else's opinion of you. Woo-hoo, come on now, that's me. I struggle with that today too. Um, I was reading a book talking about it, and that, that's all of us too, right? I was reading a book about it, and, it, and the guy, I mean, he punched me right in the heart, said, other people's opinion of you is none of your business. If you spend your whole entire life searching for happiness in someone else's opinion of you, you'll never find it. You never will. The older I get, the less I care about other people's opinion and the happier I find myself being. Young people, don't search for happiness in other people's opinion of you. Be you. All right? My moment of realization came when I stopped looking outwardly. I stopped looking at what other people had. I stopped thinking and worrying about what other people thought of me. I stopped looking outwardly and I started looking upwardly, right? When we can get to that point and you can decide, you know what? My happiness, what I'm in search of cannot be found on this world. It cannot be found outside of the, it can't be found on this earth. Not in a bottle, not in another's arms, not in money, not in Facebook. None of that stuff will bring you true happiness. Unfortunately, I'm, I think there's some people on this earth that you, cannot, you can't tell them enough. You can't tell them. You know, I was a kid who, when I was younger, my mom would say, don't touch the stove, it's hot. What am I doing? I'm touching the stove. I hate that I'm like that. Um, and I, I hate that one of my three kids is like that. But it is what it is, right? Learn from your mistakes, folks. Um, has life been gravy ever since? It's been three years. Uh, since, since Synergy Church has come into my life, two and a half years, I guess. No, it's not been perfect. If you're at my house this week, I'm telling you, if you're at my house this week, you'd know it was not a pretty place to be in a couple, a couple of days, right? Stephanie and I love each other, but we still fight. Um, my kids still get on my nerves <laughs> to no end, especially the one. Everybody knows the one. Drives me nuts. Anyone who knows me knows I'm still very much a work in progress. I still tell dirty jokes sometimes. Shh, don't tell Pastor Bronson. I do. Um, we've had this conversation. When the drapes are down, this is a gym. When the drapes are up, it's a church, right? So if the drapes aren't up, you can tell a joke. So that's, uh, that's what we've talked about sometimes. Will I fight you one moment and not think twice about it? There are some nights on the road I thought I was going to be killed on the road. I'm picking a fight with a guy who doesn't speak my language and I'm mocking him in his language. The few words I do know, I thought I was going to get killed. Will I fight one second 
Absolutely. But I might run the next. Right? We were talking about earlier. Like, like Peter, he goes to chop the centurion's ear off, ready to fight. And three verses later, he's denying Christ. The first time to a little girl, and the, th- the third time he cursed Jesus. That's me. Sometimes I am brave enough to walk on the water. Absolutely. Yes, I am. But most of the time I'm sinking in fear. What's going to happen next? What if what I'm searching for isn't really what it needs to be? I still am impetuous. Impetuous. I still am rash, foolhardy. I leap before I look all the time. I said a minute ago, now I don't look outwardly. Now I look upwardly um, to what God can do for me, what I can do for him, and not, not the things in the world that, that, I, uh, that I thought would make me happy. Where do you find happiness? I'll tell you where I find happiness. I'm going to get made fun of for this, but I don't care. I find happiness every morning at 4.30 a.m. sitting on the toilet. I mean, absolutely serious. Listen, everybody have the, the, little, uh, the little U-version app on their phones? It's where uh, it's the, uh, you bring it up and you push it, whatever. You, some of you may be using it this morning to, uh, to find your scripture this morning, to follow along with, as we read. Um, U-version is on my phone. I go in there, I sit down, and the first thing I do is I push the U-version. It has a verse of the day every day. That's where I find happiness. And I say my little prayer, my five to seven minutes with God. Uh, I heard a preacher a long time ago call that throne-to-throne communication. That's, <laughs> that's me. Hey, that's my five to seven minutes on the day. But you know what? That's where I seek the happiness now. Because I know it's not in all the other places I looked. Where will you be when you find happiness? Some of us are searching right now. I have no doubt in my mind. Some of us are looking today. You came into this building looking for something. Maybe you're in a good place in your life and you're just looking, looking to be fed a little bit this morning. Maybe you're not in a good place in your life. Maybe you spent a lot of time on the road searching like I was. Maybe you're back in your boat where Peter was at. I don't know what else to do. Raise your hands in frustration. I'm going fishing. I'm still searching because what I have found is not filling the hole. Some of us are in the boat this morning. Maybe this morning, maybe a year from now, maybe five years from now. Jesus is going to be on that shoreline, and he's going to be calling out to you. Friend, have you, found any, have you caught any fish today? Have you found what you were looking for? Will you be at work, at home, in a classroom or a job site? God is everywhere. You have to be looking for him. You have to be ready. We talk about in search of finding God in unique places. I work at a big factory in, in Athens, and uh, there's this one gentleman, he is a, a big dude. He, uh, he works in a cell next to one of my cells. And uh, man, God is all over that guy. You go in this place and you see all these humdrum people just going to work and just doing their job and going home. And you, you don't really think, well, God's not really in this. It's not necessarily bad. It's not necessarily good. God is in that man. And that's been a blessing for me to be able to have my throne to throne and then go to work and have this guy and talk to him and him talk me up. And he's an old sailor and dude gets fired up, let me tell you. I'm having a bad day. He can see. He grabbed me by my shirt collar. He's a big dude. He grabbed me by my shirt collar, and you don't pull away. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He said, are you doing what God told you to do today? Rejoice and be happy. That's what he's called us to do. He said, you only got two commands. Rejoice and be happy. Let me tell you, it gets on my nerves to no end, but I need it sometimes. Because even now, I find myself in the boat searching. 
And if you keep reading, Peter did another rash, uh, ill-thought-out uh, step. If you read down, when, when they realized it was Jesus, Peter went force gump on him, and for, Peter just jumped in the water and started swimming toward Jesus like he's Lieutenant Dan. Um, I, thought, I thought that was funny. Even now, even after Peter realized, Peter knows, hey, I need to be reinstated. I'm not in a good place. I'm not where I need to be. I'm still searching for something. As soon as he realizes it's Jesus, he's still impetuous, Peter. He's still not making super great decisions. That's me. I'm, I'm still not where I need to be. I'm still not making good decisions. Amos chapter 4, chapter 5, verse 4. This is what the Lord says to the house of Israel. Seek me and live. We talk about being in search of. There it is right there. Amos chapter 4, the four easiest words in the Bible. Seek me and live. Whatever you're looking for, seek me and live. Wherever you are at in your life, whatever point you are at, good, bad, still searching, here because a friend invited you, you don't really know why you're here, seek me and live. Did you get drunk last night? Seek me and live. I didn't, by the way. No, I didn't. Seek me and live. That's what Jesus calls us to do. Where will you be when, when, uh, when Jesus calls friend? Haven't you any fish? He does it to me all the time now. Larry, haven't you any fish? Have you found what you're looking for? Today my answer is yes. I have fish. I have found what I'm looking for. In the hope I have in Christ Jesus. You bow your heads. Heavenly Father God, we come to you right now and we praise you and thank you for being such a wonderful father. Um, for giving us all the opportunity to continue to make mistakes and then come back to you for your grace, Father God. You bless us so much with it. You're such a wonderful Father. I thank you uh, for this time and for these people. I pray that you continue to make Synergy Church a place where people, for, are far, people far from God are brought to your, to your kingdom. We praise you and thank you for being so wonderful and so awesome this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.